Welcome to The Nathan Berry Show, episode 10. Today's episode is part two of the Authority Case Studies. I hope you enjoy it. We have a question from That Moody Guy. He's wondering about uh, uh, how, how he came up for topics for a book. You know, how did you decide what to write about specifically? Um, so for me, I actually had a really burning desire to talk about um, a very esoteric concept, which is like aligning your business success around making your customers more successful. Um, so initially, like when I put the landing page up, the, the uh, title of the book was called Customer Growth. And when I would tell people that I was writing a book, they're like, oh, what's it about? And I'd be like, well, like if you have five minutes, I can probably explain it to you. Um, and I knew that was a huge problem. And like there was no, you know, I didn't know who I was selling it to. And whoever that, that hypothetical type of person might be, I knew that they weren't like, you know what? Like I, I should do a search to see if there's a book out here on this thing that nobody, that doesn't even really have a name. Um, and so it was through the process of, creating the first teardown that I used to drive traffic to the landing page that I really quickly saw people were describing it as a user onboarding teardown um, and and kind of you know got the topic through the process of trying to generate the traffic really quickly uh, iterated on that and decided like that was really the thing that was the 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 handle to um, approach it by and and put everything under the name of that container instead and I'm really 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 glad that I did. Nice. Jason? Uh, my process was more looking at, I, I didn't have a specific topic in mind, but then I just kind of looked at the skill set that I had um, and tried to identify an area, a skill that I had that I knew inside and out that wasn't really served very well. And I had been doing email design for years. Um, and up until the past about six, seven, eight months, email design has been very, uh, very archaic. People don't really talk about it that much. Um, there aren't really good up-to-date books on the subject, so that kind of it was light bulb that this is something I kind of have to write to serve that that need. Um, and it, at that point, it was just a matter of sitting down and kind of churning out the book and making things actually happen. For me, the uh, the the technical challenges of getting into something uh, like open source kind of stuck with me over the over the couple years uh, after I was I was doing it actively. And the, the tech community is kind of a funny space because there's people that are like on the way up, you know, these like real thought leader type people. And it can be really intimidating, I think, to try and approach that community with something of value, you know, and you do it for a number of years and, you know, maybe you have some senior title, whatever that means, you know, but there's still moments where you feel like, oh man, you know, classic imposter syndrome, I'm going to put this out there and somebody's going to go, you have no idea what you're talking about. And one of the, one of the reminders from the book, Nathan, I, I don't remember if it was in the book or it was just something you said consistently was that someone always knows less than you. And, you know, after doing it for a number of years, I was really active in learning and just always wanted to dig into more. I was self-taught um, programmer. So uh, to me, I always felt like I was at a disadvantage to those that went to school for computer science. So I always had to catch up. And, and my way of catching up was just like extreme motivation to learn and uh, to dig into topics that were non-trivial. And so just that consistency and showing up really helped me to, you know, I would say get on top of, of my career and my skill set. And um, which ultimately, you know, 
made me realize that people that, you know, the, those kind of thought ladder, thought leader type people are probably not the ones that are going to buy my book, but they're also the smallest community in any tech community. You know, there's, there's a handful of select few that I, I look up to quite a bit and, um, they're not going to be my audience. They're, you know, the thousands of other people, maybe more than that, that are learning to program and learning Ruby will be my audience. And, you know, if I let those couple people stop me, it would really be unfortunate, you know, especially for something that I thought needed, um, you know, better documentation and material on for people to learn. So when I got started with open source, it was, it was challenging and that's, that stuck with me over time. And after a couple of years, I thought this is, this is a perfect subject. Nice. Um, so next question, did any of you do pre-orders or did you all go straight to launch? Straight to launch. All right. Yeah. So, uh, we'll talk about pre-orders another time. Maybe I'll get a different crew on here who, uh, who has done pre-orders. I tend to not do them. Um, but someone was asking about that. So, um, all right. I want to move on a little bit and talk about after the launch. So, um, we can talk about numbers, but also what, what changed for you after writing a book? Like what impact has that had on, I don't know, we could, anything from confidence to consulting gigs, to jobs, to, uh, how financial situation has changed. Like, how is your life different now after you've written a book? Uh, I can I can start with that one if you want. Um, it's financially it's been awesome. I mean it's I haven't made I think anywhere near what you three have. Um, all told, I've probably made a little over ten thousand dollars off the book in what the past six months or so, um, which is cool. I mean it's it's nice to have that coming in. Uh, but outside of that, I think the biggest thing is that it's it's really established me more or less as an expert in the email design field. Um, and it's kind of opened up doors for me. I, I've met a lot of people after writing it. I've spoken to a lot of people. Um, and actually, I kind of got recruited more or less by a great company in Boston called Litmus that builds tools for email designers. Um, and actually got a job that way with if if I hadn't have written this book or kind of exposed myself that audience there's no way in hell that probably would have happened it's a it's a long shot um, so it's it's the financial aspects awesome but just kind of that growing my reputation has been unbelievable to actually watch it's amazing the kind of doors that I've opened up since releasing something and I think that just has more to do with getting your name out there and teaching what you know and just sharing as much as you possibly can is probably the best thing you can do and writing a book is a great way to go about doing that. Nice. So I, I think it was at Business of Software last year, a, a conference held in Boston. Um, I ran into Paul, who's one of the co-founders. Yep. And so he and I had a fun chat about how, uh, basically how you writing the book, you know, they came across that and uh -huh. I don't know the full story, but it was because of the book that they wanted to hire you because they were looking yeah. for someone to actually run their whole community and mm -hmm. outreach and that sort of thing. And so, like, obviously, this guy really, really cares about email design, which is what yeah, this is all about. Yep. Yeah, yeah it was actually uh, it was interesting. I One of the things I did in my book was reach out to kind of those thought leaders in the industry and see if they could provide quotes for kind of section breaks throughout the book. And one of those people is Justine Jordan, who's the marketing director at Litmus, um, who I kind of knew of through Twitter and maybe tweet at her a couple of times, but didn't really have a relationship with her. 
Um, but after talking to her about the book, uh, that just kind of got us talking and led to this conversation about how there's not a lot of education or a real community around email marketing and design. Um, and she shared with me kind of her long-term dream of having this email design community. And Litmus was finally in a place where they can devote a lot of resources to building something like that. Um, so we had an interesting phone conversation, a couple emails kind of sharing this vision of what an email design community might look like. Um, and sure enough, a couple weeks weeks later, I, I she kind of said, oh, maybe you could work with us or something. But I thought that was going to be in like a freelance writing capacity, like maybe write some tutorials or write for their blog or something like that. Um, and actually in September, we uh, my wife and I had our second daughter. And so we were in the hospital and she's in labor. And I get an email from Paul saying, hey, do you want to come work for Litmus? And it was just this kind of mind-blowing thing. Um, but yeah, it was. You were involved. checking your email while she was in labor. Well, it was it was early on. The, the contractions <laughs> were so little little ways apart. Um, but yeah, I just felt my phone vibrate and popped it open and showed her, and she's like, "That's cool. We're having a baby." Um, but it was it was it was awesome, and it was that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't of kind of opened myself up by writing this book and got my name out there. Um, yeah, so then it was a short series of interviews on. I'm full-time at Litmus and loving my job. It's, it's like this thing helped me land this dream job and now I get to do something that I love doing and connecting with a lot of people and helping build this great community around email design. So it's, it's, I couldn't be happier with the outcome of it. Nice. Um, another example of getting a job through writing a book that I can think of is Brett Kelly, who wrote Evernote Essentials. Mm -hmm. And he now works at Evernote, you know, leading... Uh, I think he, he writes all their documentation and training and all of that because he's obviously very, very good at it. Mm -hmm. um, and it for him, it kind of started the same way where he reached out to them about, I, I think he was asking like if he could use their name in the book, you know, actually use Evernote in the mm -hmm. book. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. And they had some restrictions on that, but that just started a conversation. And so it just goes to show that when you're working on a book and there's related companies in your field, reach out to them. I, I think getting quotes from them is is a great pitch or a, a great way to start that conversation. So I really mm -hmm. like that idea. Yeah, I was really surprised at how receptive people were to actually providing quotes for the book too. Like I approached people that I knew from the industry but never really spoke to before and they were amazing about it. They, they're happy to help out and I, I think a lot of people would find if they need those resources, don't, don't really be afraid of approaching these people that are seen as thought leaders like they're they're people they're looking to help other people out and it's it's awesome how open people are about that yeah the, you know the other thing about what you're saying that stood out is that uh you mentioned that you've made ten thousand dollars over the last six months or so off this book mm -hmm. and it's crazy to me that when you said that you described it as a low number like, it's yeah it's <laughs> i i look at some of your guys' sales and it's to me that's a low number but it's I mean, it's awesome in my situation. Like, that's a great thing to have. It's it's more than just like pocket change, you know. Um, but that's I think that's me more beating myself up because I'm admittedly extremely lazy when it comes to marketing and stuff for this book. So it's I, I've been surprised that I've made that much. But at the same time, I feel like for the next one, I'm gonna go all out, and I I hopefully will get a lot larger return on that. Nice. Yeah. I it just goes to show what's possible with with a book and mm -hmm. yeah. My when I wrote the app design handbook, my goal for it was to make ten thousand dollars over the entire lifetime of the book. So maybe like in the first year or mm -hmm. more. 
So, well done. Um, Brandon, how's, uh, how has writing a book changed things for you? All, all the same things. You know, the people that reach out to you, you know, I, I find really interesting. You know, the tone kind of changes. So I have people writing to me um, about partnerships, you know, and just things that they would have never just written to me about before just because, you know, I, I threw up this landing page and have this book now and um, job opportunities, you know, you name it. Um, again, the expertise, I think, you know, puts your kind of badge on that. I, I've spoken to a number of people that are in the Ruby community and um, don't know my name associated with the book, but know the kind of book brand, you know, the Builder Ruby Gem, whether it's the course of the book and, and they go, oh, you're the Builder Ruby Gem guy. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess that is me, you know, and, and so creating this brand, it's cool to see that, you know, it's spread through a number of ways uh, on the internet and people find it and just hearing the positive feedback, you know, there's, there's plenty of bad comments that you can easily get sucked into on message boards or where, wherever it is, Reddit or, you know, wherever, uh, you know, your audience tends to hang out. But, you know, for me, um, I kind of harped on those a little bit and there wasn't much of it, but, um, you know, the positive ones are just so, so much overwhelmingly better that, you know, I, uh, it's totally worth it. And, um, for me, after the fact, you know, it's, it's brought in a good amount of money and that's a nice thing. I, I you know, hope to kind of continue this going forward as you've done with your books and hopefully the next one's better or whatever, whether it's a book or a course or, or whatever. Um, but for me, uh, the luxury is, you know, being on the beach and your phone dings and you just sold a book and you don't have to do anything, you know, like you can choose to put in more effort for marketing you know, you can, you can make a big push and you can see a direct relationship to sales after that, or you could do nothing and sales may trickle in and that's your decisions decision because you put all the work into it. So, you know, that while the couple months that, you know, the heavy work was going on were kind of a pain, um, you know, now when I'm sitting back and hanging out with the family and, and books are selling, I mean, that there's, there's not much better feeling than that to me. Uh, you know, because we equate work with money, you know, and, and it's a direct relationship. And, and now just seeing that residual effect is, is pretty awesome. So, yeah, what are you at now for lifetime sales for the book? I think a little over 12. So it's significantly decreased. You know, it's um, about three or $400 a week. Uh, and that fluctuates significantly depending on whether I post and what the post is about, if it's in line with the book and I can upsell it. Um, I've done a poor job at continuing the marketing just because I was a little burnt out from all the marketing, you know, that was admittedly over my head. So, you know, when it went well, I was like, woo, and then I just took a huge break. So um, I'm trying to get better at building in, you know, some, some soft sells into the things that I write about, uh, integrate the course, um, put that more in front of the people that sign up to my newsletter, just having all those different paths kind of combined into a way that funnels people into the book and shows that you have a product because you know, admittedly, when when early, uh, a little bit ago, when you landed on my site, it wasn't clear that I had a book. You know, there's a link to books, but it didn't say, "Hey, you know, check this out. Do you want to buy it?" You know, and so I I was doing a bad job at that. I'm slowly getting better, and you know, it's cool to see the direct relationship between doing putting in that kind of work that is sort of self-sustaining and, and sales as a result. Yeah, I have the same issue with my site where uh, after you launch something, you know. Maintaining those ongoing sales can be kind of hard, but especially hard if you don't even link to the product. So, like, I realized the other day that if you go to nathanberry.com, you can't 
other than in like certain blog posts, you can't find a link to my Photoshop course. And I was like, oh, maybe that's why the Photoshop course hasn't been selling as much lately. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like the the marketing changes a little bit after the fact. You know, the you've obviously proven to be pretty good at launches, and you know that's largely what I took away from Authority. And um, you know, it switches after the fact. It's not this big buildup. You know, there's there's less intensity around it, and um, I'm trying to overcome that. So maybe that could be your next book. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right, Samuel. How have things uh, changed for you since after writing a book? Yeah, things are very good. Um, I think uh, Jason at one point mentioned like just the the benefit that you get from exposing yourself or just putting yourself out there um, is is very different from uh, boiling in in obscurity. I, I guess you could say so. Um, just going through the process, you know, for me, a lot of it was working on promoting the book, uh, cre creating the useronboard.com website was. I mean, the, the the entire purpose behind it initially was just to, to drive traffic to a single landing page to get people to sign up for the book. And now it's a lot more than that. Um, so that's led to some pretty cool phone calls and um, some really awesome consulting work and things like that. And, you know, as far as where I'm sitting right now is concerned, just having a book written is a really tremendous business asset that like I think uh, Amy Hoy talks about like stacking bricks and things like that and just having something in place where um, if somebody can't afford me as a consultant I can say you know I can serve you this way and um, make some money off of it but more importantly just be helpful to people in, in a way that scales uh, is really great and then also using that to anchor my consulting price or as a throw-in uh, or to help close a deal things like that and um, just just having that as as a, a a piece of the puzzle is is vastly better than not having uh, a puzzle piece to begin with. So um, I'm really really glad that I went through it and and have that to to work off of. Especially um, you know if I was an employee at a company, maybe it wouldn't be um, quite quite so valuable. But as a consultant, it's or it, I could see it being valuable no matter what. But especially as a consultant. Yeah. Nice. So what are you at for lifetime revenue for uh, your book? Yeah, I just checked uh, before we got on. I'm, I'm a little past uh, 38.5 now. Nice. And that's um, over what period of time? How long ago did you launch? Uh, seven weeks. Nice. That's good. <laughs> and no, so that might be... No, that's uh, not, uh, no maybe more, like nine weeks, I think, actually. So I, I launched uh, March 27th, so whatever, that my math might not be very good there, but um, a, a, like a normal week would be between like 1 and 2K probably. Nice. And so you've done a lot with continuing the user onboard site, you know, for the teardowns and that kind of thing to keep driving traffic because actually the, the majority of your sales did not come during the launch, right? Yeah, I guess you could I, – I, I mean, I really – I, I'm not being modest when I say I really screwed up the launch. Um, it, it's definitely kind of like a, a long-term play, which to me is more interesting anyway, that I, I wasn't interested in creating something and then just, you know, letting it fizzle out and, you know, moving on to the next thing that I really wanted it to be uh, a building block in, in that kind of way. Um, and then, you know, for even before the book came out, every time I would put out a new teardown, good things would tend to happen. So more traffic would come to the site. Uh, more people would sign up for the email list. Uh, people would reach out and say, hey, this has been helpful. Could you do one for our company, you know, privately for a fee or things like that? 
Um, so it's, it's definitely led to a significant amount of consulting work. Even if the book didn't exist or if it had never launched, I would keep putting out new teardowns just because I'm viewing it more as like an ecosystem um, where uh, having the book as part of that is, is a, I think of it kind of like as a force multiplier, but either way, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's been a really nice, um, uh, I don't know, I can't think of another word other than ecosystem, so I'll just use that one again. But, um, you know, for example, like a quick anecdote, somebody for some reason posted uh, my site to Hacker News or like a, a section of my site to Hacker News uh, while I was on vacation with my uh, family and my in-laws and uh, wound up making like $1,500 that day. And it was really great to be able to like tell my wife's parents like, you know, dinner's on me or dinner's on Hacker News tonight, basically, where it's really cool to make it to the front page to begin with, but to be able to actually get uh, income because of it, as opposed to just exposure or traffic or signups or whatever is really, really cool. So that was, um, that was a lot of fun. Nice. So um, I'll take another question from our audience and uh, people are wondering about publishing a, a paperback or a print book or not. Um, Jason, you did you did a print book from the very beginning. Can you talk about that? I did. Yeah, I did a digital one through Gumroad, which has been awesome. Um, and then I did a print version through Amazon has their Create Space program, uh, which allows for self-publishing physical copies that are sold through the Amazon store. Um, and the experience of actually getting it ready, like doing all the design work and getting a proof copy and actually getting it physically made was fine. Um, but I, I, I would recommend if you're looking to kind of in, drive your revenue, then you might want to look elsewhere because their, their royalties that they actually pay out are very, very small. Um, to give you an example, I, my Gumroad sales are a little, little over 400 um, and that's, that equates to over $6,000, whereas my CreateSpace sales are over 600 and that's about $1,500. So if I had gone only the digital route, like I, I feel like that would have been a lot better choice. Um, but that being said, there's, I know there's a lot of people that, I've gotten a lot of emails from people that might have seen the Gumroad version and needed a physical copy. Um, so I've, I've, I think it's useful to have it if that's something your audience kind of wants. I know a lot of people kind of prefer paper books. Um, I typically do for the most part. Um, so it's, it's something I wanted to have, and it's, some of that's kind of vanity, too. I want to be able to hold my own book and have it sitting up on my bookshelf, you know, so that kind of fed it into it, too. Um, but there's I, if I do decide to actually do a print version again in the future, then I might look at other services for actually doing something like that or maybe even seek out a traditional publisher if that's an option. Um, but it's, it's, it's been a mixed bag for sure. Yeah. I went with... So, like you said, print is not a good way to maximize revenue. No, not at all. Tried, up until now, I've always tried to maximize revenue. There's now a print version of Authority. Uh, that's what comes out on Tuesday, as well as other updates. Um, but I'm learning, you know, as I go down this road, that it's not a good way to make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You know, what I did is I ended up working with a local publisher. They're local to Boise, and they, they read Authority and were big fans of it and wanted to produce a print copy of it. Um, and uh, so working with them, they, they did pretty much everything. Um, and we did a run of 2,000 hardcover books. 
um, to start. And so, like you said, that got the price a lot, the price per unit a lot lower. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the downside is I have two thousand hardcover books. <laughs> yeah. Are you handling fulfillment yourself then? No, I'm not. Okay. Yeah. So they that's... they handle fulfillment, and um, we're going to go on Amazon. Yeah, I was going to say that's the nice thing about their Create Space program is that it's, I mean, it's on the Amazon store, so it's, you can leave reviews and stuff. It looks more legitimate, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, it's the royalties are measly compared to selling a di- digital version. Yeah. Uh, Samuel or Brandon, did either of you consider doing print editions or was it always digital? Uh, I took an approach where even coming up with like a dot mobi version or things like that i was just like i'm gonna go with pdf and if if the market demands i do something else then i'll listen to that and i'm not going to heavily invest in anything based off of uh off of uh, an assumption so so far the the pdf uh, has done well enough by me and a couple of people have written in and i just respond and say you know uh, ask like could i could i get a dot mobi version and typically i'll just say which is true that it's really illustration heavy and it's just not quite the same experience. So, um, you you know, that's why I went with PDF and they're like, okay, and just buy the PDF. So, um, as far as the, the print version goes, I didn't want to go with, um, is, I don't know if it, create, create space. Is that like the Amazon on demand printing service? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen some books that have come out of it and they look kind of like inkjet level printing. Yeah. Quality. I- I've been generally happy with it. It's I think the main drawback is the cover. The saturation of the ink isn't very good. Um, yeah. So that's that's like yeah, it doesn't look as professional if you went to yeah. a local printer or something a little bit more pricey, you know. Um, but generally, it's it's fine for the most part. Yeah. So that's been one thing for me, where especially using this as as like a, a touch point for my consulting work and things like that. That I I really wanted it to to have really high quality standards and. Um, I, you know, I thought that it, were I to do a print run, I would probably go, you know, work with somebody locally or something like that, um, and, and take that approach as opposed to, uh, you know, just doing the like having Amazon run to Kinkos for me or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Brandon, did you? Yeah, I just went with the app originally, and I had almost the opposite experience. My audience very quickly told me that they wanted every other format. Um, and so I never considered the the book route. You know, the, there was so much hanging over my head that that was like another obstacle that I just dodged it entirely. Um, so on on the day of launch, I sent out, uh, you know, had the the PDF up there, and then immediately people started asking for both Mobi and EPUB. And um, you know, I took the same approach, which was there's a lot of code, and I spent a lot of time making it formatted and, and color coded and and everything and formatted properly and those other formats didn't do it justice in my head and I I had um, made them uh, when I exported the book but I didn't include them in the Gumroad package for that reason and so when people started to immediately ask for them you know I was like hesitant at first and then the more emails came in I said well this is why you know and I, I said the same thing and and I said well here's here's the the Mobi for instance you know just know that it, it the code may not look perfect and then, you know, they would write back later and say, hey, you know, I, I looked at it and it, it looks fine to me, you know, and I was like, well, you know, fine is a relative term. And, and as long as they were getting value, I guess that was like the important part. I might have been a little more critical. But at some point, the emails were overwhelming enough where I just uploaded the Mobi and the EPUB version to 
uh, Gumroad. So I, I guess it was I, re, I, you know, updated the book the next day based on just some things uh, that people had uh, gave me feedback on and um, included those those versions in there at that point and immediately got a response saying thank you so much for including them. You know, a lot of people I suspect wanted them but didn't reach out and say can I have them. And so when they saw them, I think they were probably uh, thankful that they were in there then. So that was a uh, I could have probably avoided you know, 150 emails that day if I just included them from the start. Nice. Yeah, with my first two books, since they're so design heavy, I took, used the same line that Samuel used and just said, that's why I only did PDF. Um, yeah, I got that from you. I stole that from you, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, but for authority, it's so text heavy that I actually did EPUB and Mobi versions. Um, the only thing that's annoying about that is then when you update it, you're like, making a change in each file because I haven't found a good workflow for, you know, generating them or anything like that. So that was a bit of a hassle. Um, but yeah, let's see. I'm going to try to find another question. I guess as it's about time to start wrapping this up. So as a question to end with, like what's one thing that, um, that you would share with someone who was just getting started writing their book? Maybe they're, uh, maybe they've gotten um, an idea, they're starting to put together a landing page, they're early on, what's one piece of advice you'd give them? Uh, I would probably say that apart from consistently putting in the legwork to actually get it done, I would say get your, just start posting about it on a blog somewhere as soon as possible, get, start, get a landing page up quickly, get a blog up quickly, and talk about the process because that will do two things for you. It will open up to your your brand, to your audience. It'll start growing that audience. And I think kind of writing about the process, more importantly, uh, for me at least, it's a good way of kind of reinforcing the process itself and kind of giving you the confidence boost you need to actually follow through with completing a book. Um, so yeah, I would just say get out there as quickly as possible and start talking to people, start getting your name out there, start getting your work out there. Nice. I, I totally agree. Consistency, you know, showing up every day. There's a lot of people that can't show up every day uh, to something, especially if they do it on the side and it's not their full-time job. So, you know, if you can show up every day and ultimately move to, you know, end product, whether it's a month or three months or five months, um, you know, you'll be ahead of probably 95% of the people out there. Yeah, I, I, I concur. I, the the, the uh, tear, tear off the Band-Aid approach, I think, is a a good way to go. Um, I, I also genuinely recommend following the, the Nathan Berry playbook as far as the, you know, what, what's laid out in authority is pretty, pretty easy to follow um, if you're committed to it and, um, you know, put, kind of puts things on rails for you. So I do genuinely recommend that. The this one thing that I wish I had done that was not mentioned in authority was selling the book in person before trying to sell it to mass people at scale. That um, when I mentioned screwing up the launch and screwing up the tiers and things like that, like ultimately the pricing isn't, if, if people balk at, a, at the pricing, it's either because you're not delivering enough value um, or you're just not communicating that value very well. And for me, it was the latter. And I really wish I had just gotten five people, 10 people on a Skype call and just said, look, you know, you're, you're the kind of person that I'm going to be selling this book to um, and, and just try to go through that process personally and hear what their objections are and use that to turn uh, to, to to change my sales page and my sales copy and 
address their objections through that and you know scale it out that way. So that's that's the probably the hardest lesson that I learned. But um, overall, I'm really really happy with how it turned out. Nice. I think that's that's a good way to go, and it can it can also help with validating an idea. Is if you go in person and try to you know, in person or over the phone and try to get someone to buy something from you. And don't just ask, would you buy this? But like actually take it all the way through to uh, trying to collect credit card information. And that's when you get the real feedback. And so in your case, you could get your sales page up, then you could get on on Skype individually with like three different people, you know, and just say, hey, please go to this page and uh, just talk through it. Like what you're thinking, try to vocalize that. That's something that, you know, you do a lot in usability testing. And I bet you'll learn a lot and people will go like, you know, they'll say things like, oh, well, I clicked on the book and the book didn't go anywhere. Um, you know, that's a really common mistake that even I'm, I still have on my landing pages where like the book graphic gets clicked all the time, doesn't go anywhere, you know? So uh, one thing I hear a lot, like, cause there's, there's one thing I think I picked up from um, either you or Patrick McKenzie was like the idea of, having a, um, like showing your book, uh, cover in book format, um, just to communicate like that it's a tangible thing that has value. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like, I still get emails from time to time where people will be like, let me know when it comes out in ebook version, I'll buy it then. It's like, that's the only thing that it is right now. So, um, you know, it just, there are definitely usability issues that you can, you can, um, refine as you go. And that was probably the scariest part of the launch is I knew I was, especially for, in my case, I was, I was still literally editing the file that was the book, like the PDF itself, up until a couple hours before I launched. And I really wish I had been a lot more disciplined in, you know, just having a hard stop and then giving myself several days to just work on all of the sales material instead of just, you know, kind of uh, fumbling on the one yard line, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that. Uh... I've done that with just about every launch where I've been working on it up until the last minute. Like to give you an idea, when the App Design Handbook came out, I was trying to get files uploaded to Gumroad um, at like 1.30 in the morning, the right before launch. And and that was when I was you know going to launch it like, I think it was the time when, when I launched super early. So I was trying to launch at like 6 a.m. or something because I wanted to launch at you know, 8 a.m. Eastern, which I now do launches later in the day. But um, uh, so a plug for Gumroad there is that Ryan and uh, and one of the other developers at Gumroad were like helping me upload files and get things worked out at one or one thirty in the morning. So uh, anyway, I don't know if they still do that, but they're an awesome company to work with. Um, let's see. I think that that about wraps up what uh, what I want to cover. So Brandon. Uh, you've got your book on building a Ruby gem. Samuel is on user onboarding. That's in the chat. And then uh, Jason's book on modern HTML email. So if you guys enjoyed this chat, go buy their books. Um, and uh, yeah, I assume you guys are you know happy to answer questions from up and coming authors and that kind of thing in the future, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, will you guys uh, go through and maybe just say? Uh, Starting with you, Brandon, where where we can find you online and uh, maybe how to get in touch with you? Yeah, my book, blog, email course, all that's on my website at brandonhilkert.com, H-I-L-K-E-R-T. And um, Twitter is just Brandon Hilkert, and GitHub is Brandon Hilkert. So 
pretty easy to find uh, through one of those means, and I'm pretty responsive. So shoot me something. I'm uh, SamuelHulick.com, S-A-M-U-E-L-H-U-L-I-C-K, or UserOnboard.com, which is like user onboarding, but that was taken, so I didn't do the I-N-G part. Um, either of those, I think you can get in contact me with me, and I'm a pretty uh, pretty approachable dude. So if you have any questions, I'm very happy to field them. You can find me on Twitter. I, I'm uh, at Rodriguez, comma, J, um, and then my website's Rodriguez, comma, J, dot com. And yeah, just ask me anything. I'm always happy to help out. Sweet. Well, guys, thanks for hanging out for the last hour, hour and a half or so. And uh, I'll talk to you all later. Sounds good. Thanks. Cheers. For links to everyone's books and to pick up authority for yourself, go to nathanberry.com slash episode 10. See you soon.